Chapter Eight, Part One of the Pit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. On that particular morning in April, the trading around the wheat pit on the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade began practically a full five minutes ahead of the stroke of the gong and the throng of brokers and clerks that surged in and about the pit itself was so great that it overflowed and spread out over the floor between the wheat and corn pits ousting the traders in oats from their traditional ground the market had closed the day before with may wheat at ninety-eight and five-eighths and the bulls had prophesied and promised that the magic legend dollar wheat would be on the Western Union wires before another twenty-four hours. The indications pointed to a lively morning's work. Never for an instant during the past six weeks had the trading sagged or languished. The air of the pit was surcharged with a veritable electricity. It had the effervescence of champagne or of a mountain top at sunrise. It was buoyant, thrilling. The unknown bull was to all appearances still in control. The whole market hung upon his horns, and from time to time one felt the sudden upward thrust, powerful, tremendous, as he flung the wheat up another notch. The tailors, the little bulls, were radiant. In the dark they hung hard by their unseen and mysterious friend, who daily, weekly, was making them richer. The bears were scarcely visible. The great bull, in a single superb rush, had driven them nearly out of the pit. Growling, grumbling, they had retreated, and only at distance dared so much as to bear a claw. Just the formidable lowering of the great bull's frontlet sufficed, so it seemed, to check every move of aggression or resistance. And all the while Liverpool, Paris, Odessa, and Budapest clamored ever louder and louder for the grain that meant food to the crowded streets and barren farms of europe a few minutes before the opening charles cressler was in the public room in the southeast corner of the building where smoking was allowed finishing his morning's cigar but as he heard the distant striking of the gong and the roar of the pit as it began to get under way with a prolonged rumbling trepidation like the advancing of a great flood he threw his cigar away and stepped out from the public room to the main floor going on toward the front windows at the sample tables he filled his pockets with wheat and once at the windows raised the sash and spread the pigeons breakfast on the granite ledge while he was watching the confused fluttering of flashing wings that on the instant filled the air in front of the window, he was all at once surprised to hear a voice at his elbow wishing him good morning. Seem to know ya, don't they? Cressler turned around. Oh, he said, hello, hello, yes, they may know me all right. Especially that red and white hen. She's got a lame wing since yesterday, and if I don't watch, the others would drive her off. The powder brute yonder, for instance, he's a regular pirate. Wants all the wheat himself. Don't ever seem to get enough. Well, observed the newcomer laconically, there are others. The man who spoke was about forty years of age. His name was Calvin Hardy Crooks. He was very small and very slim. His hair was yet dark, and his face, smooth-shaven and triangulated in shape like a cat's, was dark as well 
the eyebrows were thin and black and the lips too were thin and were puckered a little like the mouth of a tight-shut sack the face was secretive impassive and cold the man himself was dressed like a dandy his coat and trousers were of the very newest fashion he wore a white waistcoat drab gaiters a gold watch and chain a jeweled scarf pin and a seal ring from the top pocket of his coat protruded the fingertips of a pair of unworn red gloves yes continued crooks unfolding a brand new pocket handkerchief as he spoke there are others who never know when you've got enough wheat oh, you mean the unknown bull i mean the unknown damn fool returned crooks placidly there was not a trace of the snob about charles cressler no one could be more democratic but at the same time as this interview proceeded he could not fight down nor altogether ignore a certain qualm of a gratified vanity had the matter risen to the realm of his consciousness he would have hated himself for this but it went no further than a vaguely felt increase of self-esteem he seemed to feel more important in his own eyes he would have liked to have his friends see him just now talking with his man crooks was saying to-day he would observe when next he met an acquaintance for c h crooks was conceded to be the biggest man in la salle street not even the growing importance of the new and mysterious bull could uh, quite make the market forget the great bear inactive during all this trampling and goring in the pit there were yet those who even as they strove against the bull cast uneasy glances over their shoulders wondering why the bear did not come to the help of his own well yes admitted cressler combing his short beard yes he's a fool the contrast between the two men was extreme each was precisely what the other was not the one long angular loose-jointed the other tight trim small and compact the one osseous the other sleek the one stoop-shouldered the other erect as a corporal of infantry but as cressler was about to continue crooks put his chin in the air hark he said what's that for from the direction of the wheat pit had come a sudden and vehement renewal of tumult the traders as one man were roaring in chorus there were cheers hats went up into the air on the floor by the lowest step two brokers their hands trumpet-wise to their mouths shouted at top voice to certain friends at a distance while above them on the topmost step of the pit a half-dozen others their arms at fullest stretch threw the hand signals that interpreted the fluctuations in the price to their associates in the various parts of the building again and again the cheers rose violent hip-hip hurrahs and tigers while from all corners and parts of the floor men and boys came scurrying up visitors in the gallery leaned eagerly upon the railing over in the provision pit trading ceased for the moment and all heads were turned toward the commotion of the wheat traders ah commented crooks they did get it there at last for the hand of the dial had suddenly jumped another degree and not a messenger boy not a porter not a janitor none whose work or life brought him in touch with the board of trade that did not feel the thrill 
the news flashed out to the world on a hundred telegraph wires it was called to a hundred offices across the telephone lines from every doorway even as it seemed from every window of the building spreading thence all over the city the state the northwest entire nation spread the magic words dollar wheat crookes turned to cressler can you lunch with me today kinsley's i'd like to have a talk with you and as soon as cressler had accepted the invitation crookes with a succinct nod turned upon his heel and walked away at kinsley's that day in a private room on the second floor cressler met not only crookes but his associate sweeney and another gentleman by the name of fry the latter one of his oldest and best-liked friends sweeney was an irishman florid flamboyant talkative who spoke with a faint brogue and who tagged every observation argument or remark with the phrase do you understand me gentlemen fry a german-american was a quiet fellow very handsome with black side whiskers and a humorous twinkling eye the three were members of the board of trade and were always associated with the bear forces indeed they could be said to be its leaders between them as cressler afterwards was accustomed to say they could have bought pretty much all of the west side and during the course of the luncheon these three with a simplicity and a directness that for the moment left cressler breathless announced that they were preparing to drive the unknown bull out of the pit and asked him to become one of the clique crookes whom cressler intuitively singled out as the leader did not so much as open his mouth till sweeney had talked himself breathless and all the preliminaries were out of the way then he remarked his eye as lifeless as the eye of a fish his voice as expressionless as the voice of fate itself i don't know who the big bull is and i don't care curse but he don't suit my book i want him out of the market we've let him have his way now for three or four months we figured we'd let him run to the dollar mark the may option closed this morning at a dollar and an eighth now we take hold but uh, cressler hastened to object you forget i'm not a speculator fry smiled and tapped his friend on the arm i guess charlie he said that there won't be much speculating about this why gentlemen cried sweeney brandishing a fork we're going to sell him right out of the market so we are simply flood out the son of a gun you understand me gentlemen cressler shook his head no he answered no you must count me out i quit speculating years ago and besides to sell short on this kind of market i don't need to tell you what you risk the risk hell muttered crooks well now i'll explain to you charlie began fry the other two withdrew a little from the conversation crooks as ever a monosyllabic took himself on in a little while and sweeney his chair tipped back against the wall his hands clasped behind his head listened to fry explaining to cressler the plans of the proposed clique and the lines of their attack he talked for nearly an hour and a half at the end of which time the lunch table was one litter of papers letters contracts warehouse receipts tabulated statistics and the like well said fry at length 
Well, Charlie, do you see the game? What do you think of it? It's about as ingenious a scheme as I ever heard of, Billy, answered Cressler. You can't lose with crooks back of it. Well, then, we can count you in, eh? Count nothing, declared Cressler stoutly. I don't speculate. But have you thought of this? urged Fry, and went over the entire proposition from a fresh point of view, winding up with the exclamation, Why, Charlie, you're going to make our everlasting fortunes. I don't want any everlasting fortune, Billy Fry, protested Cressler. Look here, Billy, you must remember I'm a pretty old cock. You boys are all youngsters. I've got a little money left in a little business, and I want to grow old, quiet-like. I had my fling, you know, when you boys were knickerbockers. Now you let me keep out of this. You get someone else. No, we'll be jiggered if we do, exclaimed Sweeney. Say, are you scared we can't buy that trade journal? Why, we have it in our pocket, so we have. Do you think crooks now couldn't make bare settlement with the public? We just a lift a one forefinger. Why, he owns most of the commercial columns of the dailies already. Do you think he couldn't swamp that market with selling orders in the shorter end of two days? Do you think we won't all hold together now? Is that the bug in the butter? Sure, now, listen, let me tell you. You can't tell me anything about this scheme that you've not told me before, declared Cressler. You'll win, of course. Crooks and company are like Rothschilds. Earthquakes couldn't budge them. But I promised myself years ago to keep out of the speculative market, and I mean to stick by it. Oh, get on with you, Charlie, said Fry, good-humouredly. You're scared. Of what? asked Cressler. Speculating? <laughs> you bet I am. And when you're as old as I am and have been through three panics and have known what it meant to have a corner bust under you, you'll be scared of speculating, too. But suppose we can prove to you, said Sweeney all at once, that we're not speculating, that the other fellow, this fool bull, is doing the speculating. I'll go up and do anything in the way of legitimate trading, answered Cressler, getting up from the table. You convince me that your clique is not a speculative clique, and I'll come in. But I don't see how your deal can be anything else. Will you meet us here tomorrow? asked Sweeney as they got into their overcoats. It won't do you any good, persisted Cressler. Well, will you meet us just the same? the other insisted. And in the end, Cressler accepted. On the steps of the restaurant they parted, and the two leaders watched Cressler's broad, stooped shoulders disappear down the street. He's as good as in already, Sweeney declared. I'll fix him tomorrow. Once a speculator, always a speculator. He was the cock of the car yard in his day, and the thing is in his blood. He gave himself clean, clean away when he let out he was afraid of speculating. <laughs> you can't be afraid of anything that ain't got a hold on you. <laughs> you understand me now? Well, observed Fry, we've got to get him in. Talk to me about that now, Sweeney answered. I'm new to some parts of this scheme of yours yet. Why is Crook so keen on having him in? I'm not so keen. We could get along without him. He ain't so god-awful rich, you know. No, but he's a solid conservative cash-grain man, answered Fray. 
who hasn't been associated with speculating for years. Crooks has got to have that element in the clique before he can approach Styers and Company. He may have to get a pile of money from them, and they're apt to be scary and cautious. Cressler being in, do you see, gives the clique a substantial conservative character. You let Crooks manage it. He knows his business. Say, exclaimed Sweeney, an idea occurring to him, I thought Crooks was going to put us wise today. He must know by now who the big bull is. No doubt he does know answered the other he'll tell us when he's ready but i think i could copper the individual there was a great big jag of wheat sold to liverpool a little while ago through gretry converse and company who've been acting for curtis jadwin for a good many years oh jadwin eh ay we're off to big game now i'm thinking but look here warned fry here's a point cressler is not to know by the longest kind of chalk Anyhow, not until he's so far in he can't pull out. He and Jadwin are good friends, I'm told. Hello, it's raining a little. Well, I've got to be moving. See you at lunch tomorrow. End of chapter 8, part 1